One step forward, two steps back. No sooner does a country or city seem to be returning to normal than it's bringing down the shutters for another lockdown. Navigating the uncertainty is difficult, but in this podcast, we aim to provide some clarity with on-the-ground investment analysis in almost real time. I'm Richard Edgar, and this is the Fidelity Analyst Survey, where we collect the reporting of around 150 analysts from all over the world to understand just how disruptive the COVID-19 pandemic is proving to be across all regions of the world and all sectors of business. With me today to tease out some of the best of our analyst forecasts are Global Head of Research for Fixed Income, Keita Baum, Director of Equities, Terry Raven, and the editor of the survey, George Watson. Thank you all for joining me. Hello. 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 Geeta and Terry, just before we look at this month's results, can you give us some idea of how the analysts are approaching their job at the moment? To what extent have the usual approaches to investment uh, analysis had to change? Geeta? So I think the usual approach to investment analysis really changed in March, April and May time. And what analysts are doing now is dusting off what they did in March, April and May and taking a look at that in the same kind of context again for, for going forward. What do I mean by that? In a typical downturn, a usual analyst will look at cutting their revenues by X percent, cutting their margins by 2X percent, and it just went like that. In this particular downturn, because whole swathes of the economy were closed, um, analysts were cutting their revenues, in some cases, all the way to zero and trying to analyze really what was happening to cash rather than margins on a monthly, if not a weekly basis for certain companies in certain sectors. Um, as we have come out of lockdown, more normal analysis has persisted again. But as we start to go through local lockdowns, they're going to take the information we, we learned and the, the methodology we used um, at the early stages to apply once again. So it sounds like the analysts are really having to earn their keep now. Um, <laughs> Terry, um, is it a similar picture for equities? It is, yes. Some of the old school practical playbooks had to be ripped up and different approaches taken, much more emphasis on the balance sheet, as Gita referenced. I'd also add a practical layer. Obviously, the amount of air miles that we've clocked up has, has fallen pretty dramatically to zero. So the, the team have had to adapt their day-to-day -day working lives. They've become expert at Zoom calls. Um, they have taken part in lots and lots of virtual conferences. They're now leveraging third-party and proprietary data sources much more than they ever did before. George, let's, uh, let's come to you now. We'll start with some of the regular questions that we ask the analysts each month. Uh, first of all, uh, and I suppose most importantly, um, how are management teams feeling around the world? Because we ask the analysts what the sentiment is amongst the management teams of the companies they cover. I think on a global level, this survey continues a trend that we have seen since probably April this year, that management sentiment is month on month looking slightly more positive. And the figures are that just under half of our analysts now say that management sentiment has improved during the last month with, with only 8% saying that it has declined over the last month. Now, as ever, there's some interesting regional and sectoral breakdowns uh, in those figures. Um, I think the, probably the, the largest story on a regional basis is that China is looking just a, a tiny bit softer this month in terms of management sentiment. And there, um, around a third of our China analysts are saying that management sentiment has increased with just under one in five saying that it's decreased. This is just a slight change in the trend where we've seen China 
being out at the forefront throughout the the rest of the year. So, Gita, just to um, look at that um, first of all, is that China slowing down or is it um, the rest of the world catching up? Because, as George says, China was definitely at the forefront as the uh, of the recovery. Yeah, I, I think it's more the case that the rest of the world is catching up. I also think it's about the steepness and the decline that we saw as a result of lockdowns. China obviously entered this sooner than everybody else did. So naturally is at a different point in the the upward slope of resumption of growth and sentiment. Um, but equally, I don't think China had quite the same negative impact um, as steep a decline as we saw in, in many other parts of the world. And George, um, coming back to you, because you mentioned the sectors as well. So um, what's the pattern there? Because um, it's, some interesting things beginning to develop there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's going to surprise too many of our listeners to hear that once again, healthcare and information technology, uh, our analysts are are pretty positive on those sectors. Um, I think materials and consumer discretionary are once again looking quite positive, or at least our analysts are quite positive on those sectors. And that's continuing a trend that we've seen in the last one or perhaps two months. And I think a real change that we've seen this month that we hadn't seen before is amongst our financials analysts. And and now we've got over half saying that leading indicators uh, in that sector are positive, um, with only sort of one in five or so saying that leading indicators are negative. And that's almost an exact reversal, even from from last month. Terry, um, we'll come to healthcare in a minute. Are you going to tell me this is face mask manufacturers? But I want to pick up on what George mentioned there about the, um, the financials, because that's interesting that they're looking a little bit more positive when conditions you'd think were pretty tough for for banks at the moment. Yes, Richard, we have seen that step up in sentiment in the financials, and it's really our insurance analysts that are driving that improvement. There's a realisation that solvency levels amongst corporates are at healthy high levels and able to withstand some of the knocks that COVID has driven. Premium inflation is helping to insulate and drive EPS revisions upwards and dividends are back on the scene after a period where there was some uncertainty that regulators would allow dividends to be paid to to shareholders. There are some NIM pressures for the insurers, but certainly not to the level that we're seeing for for the banks. And COVID losses are really under control. So that's really driven the improvement from the financials area. So much rosier picture, but it's, it's, it's very much focused on the, on the insurers. Um, what about um, materials companies? The weak US dollar has certainly been very helpful to Asian markets. And we've seen you know, copper driving to new highs in the last few days. And gold has really been a standout um, returner from an, from an asset perspective. So there is some uh, residential demand that we're noting. Non, the non-residential side is, is still a little bit more circumspect. And I mentioned healthcare in an offhand way a little bit earlier, but um, it has been doing well. So what's, uh, what's the story there? The obvious uh, vaccine plays are still benefiting. The news on that is evolving every day, but generally we are traveling in a, in a good direction. What we have also seen after um, a very exaggerated step down in electives procedures is a return to some normality in ongoing procedures. And while it's not yet to the levels that we historically have seen, 
that return is is helping to drive sentiment in the space. And what about um, consumers, Gita? Because they've been buffeted this way and that. How is that beginning to settle amongst uh, consumer sentiment? I think what we saw at the the height of the first wave of the pandemic in much of the Western world was um, a very negative consumer. And what we've seen in the last couple of months has finally been some recovery in that consumer sentiment some willingness to spend and certainly some spending on, on items that were perhaps pent up or, or necessary because of our, our changed world. Um, I don't think that we are going to see the consumer return to previous rosy levels of sentiment, um, in the near term. Uh, the, the economic downturn has simply been too great to, to get back to that. And, and obviously COVID is not permitting the world to go back to, to business as usual, but we're clearly in a better place than we were a few months ago. And just sort of summing up this um, overall picture, um, Terry, the earnings season, you know, it was it was better than expected. So what sort of impact has that had as we look through the, the survey? I think that was really driven by the fact that we stepped back from the abyss. You know, central banks acted quickly and decisively. And in the very early phase of the crisis, companies and analysts cut their numbers very, very aggressively. Fair to say that the actual outcomes weren't as terrible as we anticipated. They were bad, and therefore that has led to a better earnings season than many would have predicted going into those results. Right. Well, I'll, I'll take that as a positive, but, uh, yeah. but thanks, Terry. <laughs> Now, George, back to you. Um, this month, we um, we asked the analysts some additional questions around the theme of resilience. Now, it's a quality that's getting a lot of attention at the moment, not least here at Fidelity. So what did we ask and what have we learned from this survey? It certainly is getting a lot of attention. Um, what we asked this month was we asked the analysts how resilient their companies were to an increase in COVID infections or the trajectory of infections. We asked them how resilient their companies would be to a withdrawal of government support and how resilient their balance sheets were to another six months of ongoing local lockdowns. Um, and when we broke that data down on a regional level, we didn't find too much difference between the regions. And, and this was at least slightly notable for the fact that that's probably not the result we would have had earlier in the year as the virus moved you know, across the globe at slightly different rates. We probably would have expected to see a little bit more variation. Uh, where we did see variation was in the sector breakdown, though, uh, and it was almost split exactly in terms of cyclical and non-cyclical sectors with, uh, I'm sure you perhaps guessed, the non-cyclical sectors being reported by our analysts uh, as being more resilient. And, uh, Terry, explain that a little bit more if you, if you wouldn't mind. The requirements for a utility or a, an IT company to structurally change their business has just not been there through this pandemic, the early phase of this pandemic. If you're a consumer discretionary name and you're a retailer, you were forced by governments to close all your shops and the outlook for demand going forward is under pressure. The requirement for managements to act more decisively has been there. Okay, well, Gita, we did see a tick up in CapEx expectations in this month's survey. Now, is that normal investment by the companies or is it businesses reinforcing their defences ahead of a, of a second wave? What do you think? I think part of it is normal maintenance capex that you would expect to see. I think there is an element of reinforcing their businesses 
ahead of any further tick up in infections. But I also think that what's going on is that businesses that were previously all but shut down are now having to reinvest just to open up and to deal with all of the new regulation and requirements for social distancing, things like that. Um, it is taking more investment for that. It's also taking more investment to restart operations that might have been closed down or running at very low levels um, for several months this year. That's not a normal business practice at this time of year. Okay, George, a little bit more on this um, resilience. Now, there was a question about structural changes that the analysts were were seeing or expecting at their companies. I know it's a uh, uh, a difficult one to interpret, but um, but tell us what uh, what you found. Um, we wanted to find out slightly more about permanent structural changes. And so we asked them about whether their companies had made structural changes to business operations, as well as structural changes to balance sheets. And what we found was that up till now, and as a result of the pandemic, about a third of companies that our analysts cover have made structural changes to their business operations. And it's slightly less than that for balance sheets. It's around 20% of companies that they cover. Now, given that we've gone through a revolution in many ways, you know, that the world has been turned upside down by by COVID-19. Terry, is that number surprisingly low? Should we be expecting more, do you think? I think our analysts are on a watching brief at this point. In the very early phase of the pandemic, companies will react with a crisis footing. As Gita talked to earlier, that crisis footing works itself through in sort of three to four months, and then companies start to feel like they understand the new normal. I think it's only six to 12 months after the start of a crisis that companies really then start to reassess, are they strategically and structurally well set up for the new normal on a a longer timeframe? I think what the survey shows is our analysts have seen some structural change And that is what they've recorded. But they're also taking a watching brief dependent on whether the pandemic elongates relative to expectations or we do get that vaccine breakthrough towards the back end of this year and the early part of next year. And we start to see vaccine rollout uh, across the broader population. Well, Gita, tell us about the the companies that you cover, the sector they're in, um, and what sort of changes you expect still to happen. So I cover a number of of consumer companies, um, especially companies um, in consumer discretionary space, so gaming, leisure, those types of names. Um, Those companies were amongst the highest in our analyst survey of already having experienced significant structural change, both in terms of operations and in terms of balance sheet. I think that's what you would expect. These are companies that were forced um, to deal with the crisis in a much more meaningful way. Their businesses were shut down. They had to implement radical changes much quicker than perhaps other industries and couldn't afford to take that, that wait and see approach. What do I expect going forward? I think for the companies that were hardest hit in this, um, I think that their balance sheet debt is just going to be structurally higher for a period of time. I know all of them want to get that debt down, but unfortunately, they've had to take it on to fund the the negative free cash flow they've seen. Um, For companies that were in um, a slightly better position to begin with, maybe more in the consumer staples space, uh, I think that it is yet to be determined how much of the change is structural and how much of the change is just um, crisis dependent and temporary in nature. 
Let's move now to ESG. Uh, it was big before the pandemic, but um, recent events have focused corporate attention on ESG. What did the survey tell us this month about companies thinking around E, the environmental, S, the social, and G, the governance issues, George? We, we had a good old debate about how exactly to, to ask this question this month. Uh, and the one we settled on was we asked the analysts how many of their companies they expected would be reporting or discussing with them scope one, two, and three emissions by the end of next year, because we wanted to make it forward-looking. Uh, and George, just remind us what scope one, two, three means. Scope one emissions are the emissions that come as a direct result of the company's business activities. Scope two emissions are the emissions that arise from the generation of the power that the company uses. And scope three emissions are all of the indirect emissions that arise as a result of anything the company does through the supply chains, through everything. Uh, and what we found was, I mean, I think you could say there's, there's plenty of room for improvement um, and some regions and sectors are doing slightly better than others. On a global level, um, it's not quite half of, our, of the companies in our analyst coverage that will be discussing uh, those uh, emissions with them by the end of next year. And what about the uh, regions? So in the regions, uh, Europe is, is way out ahead with almost two thirds of the companies there that are going to be discussing those emissions with, uh, with analysts on that kind of detail. Um, and then, interesting enough, although I found this surprising, but Terry and Gita did not seem surprised at all that uh, Asia-Pacific region and EMEA LATAM, um, our analysts are expecting more companies there to be discussing scope one, two, and three emissions with them than uh, North American companies. Uh, Terry, I've got to ask you, why were you not surprised that um, emerging markets were racing ahead on this? Evidence on the ground shows that those EM companies are, are hurdling many in the US. They're increasingly adopting a Western European governance model, corporate governance model, but adding an Asian flavor. I think it's helped by a deeper social contract that the governments and their citizens have in, in EM regions. Um, and also the fact that governments play a much greater role in the ownership and regulation of corporates in those geographies. That, that makes sense. Just to interrupt you, sorry, Terry, that makes sense in uh, China and some other parts of, uh, of Asia. But what about Latin America and uh, EMEA as well, where, where we're also seeing that? For me, EMEA is the, the transition of that European focus. You know, there is many investors will be casting an eye on European and emerging market and LATAM companies. And so to some extent, it's us and peers like us that are driving corporates to act more responsibly. That is a way that we can really impact corporates to change positively. Interesting. And, and Gita, on the credit side, how is the market for green bonds developing as a result of uh, perhaps this pressure that Terry's um, pointing out, but also the pandemic generally? So I think the market for, for green bonds has been growing exponentially over the last few years. What we're seeing increasingly, you know, to the point on Latin America, EMEA and the rest of the emerging markets is that now we have governments coming to market with, with green bonds as well. Um, we are really seeing um, supply continuing to be dwarfed by demand. So if a company or a country issues a green bond, often you will see it 
um, achieve a, a much cheaper cost of financing than for a non-green bond, um, even if it's the exact same same company. So we're really seeing the market grow by leaps and bounds um, over the last few years. That's a sort of virtuous circle beginning to form yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's that perfect example, Richard, of the social and the financial benefits coming through. Companies can lower their cost of financing and do good. So we've, uh, we've talked about it in theory, but you're beginning to see the practice um, shine through. Fascinating that's beginning to show up in, um, uh, in the survey and in the data as well. Well, that brings us to the end of this month's Pulse survey. For the full results or to read more analysis, go to fidelityinternational.com. I'd like to thank my guests, Geeta Bell, Terry Raven and George Watson. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on your app of choice. The producer was Seb Morton-Clark with production support from Alex Wilcox. But from all of us, at Fidelity International. Goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.